It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' break through like a running Hello back. and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One My name is Mark Hamilton And not joining me today, my friend, my neighbor, my colleague, my frenemy, Mr. Mark Daly And that can only mean one thing That this is the episode where we finally sit down with the amazing Elizabeth Blackstock and Alanis King To talk about their fantastic book, Racing with Rich Energy How a Rogue Sponsor took Formula One for a ride. Alanis, Elizabeth, we've been planning this for so long. How the heck are the two of you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for asking. And thank you for having us. It's always nice to be to be back on the show with you guys. Elizabeth, welcome back. Obviously, last year, you sat down with us, gave us some time, and we did that lovely interview series podcast during the summer. And then when Daly was on his two-month sabbatical, you actually sat in and co-hosted with me, which was much appreciated. But maybe just to kind of remind everybody about the two of you, what would you want people to know about you? Maybe we'll start with the last. Oh, that is such a great question. Well, right now, I would like you to know that I am holding my cat, um, and she is <laughs> purring very, very loudly. Her name is Portia. Um, let's see. I've been an automotive and motorsports reporter my entire life. I love chain restaurants and Chris Angel, <laughs> and that's about that's a, that is about a summary of me. That's the perfect summary, honestly. Thank you so much. <laughs> On the note of chain restaurant passion, I will kick it over to you, Elizabeth. Uh, I also have been an automotive journalist pretty much my whole life. I love race cars. I love cats. And I love food. <laughs> um, not not as much not as much chain restaurants as Atlantis. <laughs> it's still up there. Still, I do love a good Texas Roadhouse. Thank you so much. Me too. They got the bread. And they keep bringing it to your table. You don't even have to order anything. They just keep bringing you bread. It's amazing. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's talk about the book. And again, if you're joining us a couple minutes late, we're sitting down with Alanis King, Elizabeth Blackstock, the co-authors of Racing with Rich Energy, How a Rogue Sponsor Took Formula One for a Ride. I would obviously love to be talking chain restaurants and talking chili for the next hour. Me but too. <laughs> I think our listeners want to hear about the book. When I first heard about this, I'll be totally honest. I didn't know either of you particularly well, especially on a personal level. I knew your work, really respected your work, but the topic just seemed too good to be true. <laughs> it seemed to me like it was vaporware, that this was something that was being proposed, pre-orders were being taken, but it would never actually see the light of day. And I say that only because I was too excited about the topic. Maybe to start, how has the reception been? I'll, I'll let Elizabeth yeah, go Yeah, the first. reception has been wonderful. Uh, as soon as we announced the project, everyone was really excited about it. And we did that back in 2020. Um, it's, I mean, people were like, let me know when a pre-order link is coming. As soon as we said that we were working on this book, um, people have been like so stoked about it. They've been so kind. Uh, the reviews have been wonderful. Uh, everyone who has read it and shared photos 
uh, we try to reshare them and thank everyone for for reading because it means so much to us that you know this thing we poured our heart and soul into for three years of our lives uh, is you know people are enjoying it and actually talking about it and wanting to know more and wanting to follow what we're doing afterward, which is. I don't know. It's really exciting. It feels really nice. Yeah. I mean, it's super cool. I love seeing people will send me like photos and videos of where they're reading it. And they'll also like send me the most creative things. They'll make like an entire display of motorsports stuff and they'll put the book on that display and they'll like record a cute little video or something, or they'll show me that they're on vacation at the beach and they're reading the book. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Like, look at this. These these people are reading my book. I actually, one of the most fun things um, that happened was right when we released the book and it started shipping out to everybody, um, there was a car launch. I don't remember what car it was. I don't even think I was told. Um, but one of the automotive journalists was on the plane to the car launch and they said, literally everyone on my flight is reading this book. And then <laughs> I know it was great. And then all like my NASCAR friends, they ordered the book and they were reading it. And it was so funny. I would get photos of my friends at like plane stops where the planes would refuel on the way to a NASCAR race. And they were just reading the book at the plane stops. And it was it was just so cool. And I love that everybody's showing us and everybody's so excited. I love seeing what everyone thinks about it and talking about like all the stuff they've learned. It was a lot of work and it's so nice that people like it. What was the genesis? And I just like using the word genesis because I don't have the opportunity very often. But what was what was the genesis for this book? What What did the initial conversations between the two of you look like? And when did the book start to become a reality? When, when did you think that, wow, this is something that could be could be real? This is a hilarious story and I will let Elizabeth go first. Yeah. So <laughs> we, Alanis and I first did a deep dive at this, on this topic for Jalopnik um, in April of 2019. We saw all of these motorsport.com stories about this new sponsor that Haas had and they, motorsport.com generally doesn't cover those kinds of things. Like they're not super involved in those kind of sponsorship stories. So we wanted to know what this thing was because we, along with just about everyone else on the internet, had no idea what Rich Energy actually was. We did our deep dive. Uh, we covered the chaos as it ensued throughout the year and then after that. Uh, and then in 2020, just before the pandemic hit, I le left Jalopnik full-time. Alanis had already gone to Business Insider and I got an email like just before my email closed from a literary agent who was like, I see you're leaving. I just wanted to like slide in here because I know this is the only email that you have right now. Do you want to write a book about Rich Energy? I just watched Drive to Survive. It was absolutely wild. And, you know, we, I think it'll be a good book. And I was like, well, why not? Like, absolutely. I would love to write a book. That's been one of my personal goals since forever. Uh, so we signed on to that and it kind of went <laughs> went sideways and then downhill real quick. <laughs> yeah, basically we started working on this book because when you have a book and you're pitching it to like major publishers, you have to write a proposal and your proposal needs to be about 15,000 words, which is a lot of words. Um, typically that's about two book chapters in words. Um, so we put together this timeline. We work on a bunch of the books so that we're able to put together a chapter by chapter breakdown in this book proposal. We do all this and our agent ghosts us. Um, hey buddy, 
We don't really like you very much. Um, he ghosts us and just stops responding. And he gives us an excuse like, oh, my mother had to move somewhere and someone got sick. And we're like, it's been a year. Like, it's been a year. What are you talking about? And then eventually he just sent us an email out of nowhere. And he was like, hey, um, I don't like this anymore. I'm dropping you. Oh and my we were like, gosh. Huh? And so I started calling the CEO of the agency. Um, I was literally like, I found the phone number of the CEO of the agency. And I was like, what? And I just chewed all of them out. And I think I got him in trouble. <laughs> and yeah, it was a mess. Um, it was a mess. So we go, okay, well, what do we do now? And we just kind of look at each other and we go, all right, let's 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 send this around to publishers. Let's just see what happens. Um, and the first one we chose on our own accord was McFarland. They are based in North Carolina, right around like NASCAR area, like American racing scene and right. It's NASCAR country. NAS country. And it's where one of the Haas F1 facilities <laughs> is because the Haas F1 facility is with the Haas NASCAR facility. And we decided, you know what? Let's do this. Let's go with McFarland. And they loved it. And it was amazing to see their passion. And I would say the one thing I learned is that literary agents and publishing companies will reach out to you and say you're the best thing in the world. And then they will just randomly drop you. And it's weird. So find a good one. My goodness. And at least at least I think the two of you are mentally strong enough to persevere through that. I think a lot of people may have become discouraged. But I think the other challenge that you had when you were writing this book is you were piecing this together through a pandemic. And it's not like the two of you are based in LA and you work in the same office and you sit in cubicles next to each other. You guys are on very different parts of the country. You travel a lot. Working remotely, what did the planning and coordination process look like when you were piecing this book together? How did you stay on track? And what tools or resources did you use in your planning? Well, we basically, we assigned each other different things. So um, we started with this timeline of what happened because we needed this book to be mostly in chronological order in terms of what Rich Energy was and what happened. Um, and aside from that, we have, you know, most books like nonfiction books or documentaries or whatever, they have like a little deviation chapter. Um, one of my friends who read the book, he doesn't know about F1, doesn't watch it. Um, he read the book and he got to chapter three, which is our deviation chapter. And he was like, this is like an anime side quest. Like this is not going to be interesting. <laughs> and then he reads the chapter and he was like, oh my goodness, wait, like this was super relevant and super interesting. And that third- I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, that third chapter for us is a, a deep dive into- um, other funky sponsors in Formula One, IndyCar, sports car racing, NASCAR. We do a deep dive into all this stuff basically to show the readers that like, this isn't the first time this has happened, but it's one of the loudest times that it has happened. Um, and so, yeah, he thought it was like a, a, just an anime side quest, like wasn't relevant, but it was. Um, so aside from that, the book is pretty much chronological. It takes you, um, our first chapter gives you a summary of what's gonna happen. Our second chapter is like, you know, how this got started with Rich Energy, our third chapter, Deviation, Other Sponsors. Fourth chapter, we start going into the season and like what's going on. Um, so we made this chronological list and we assigned topics to each other. And we just started writing out paragraphs about topics. And then we sorted those topics into chapters and we just took sections and I would write a section and she would write a section and I would write a section and she would write a section. And I would take her sections and I would edit them 
not just for editing, but for making them sound more like one voice. And she would take my sections and edit them, not just for editing, but making them sound like one voice. And it's really interesting because I've asked people, I've said, could you tell who was writing what? And they said, no, it was a very cohesive language all the way through. And that was because we would cut stuff in and out of each other's writing to sound more like one. That's incredible. And that was, to be honest, I was sitting on the plane on a flight from Vancouver to Toronto. And selfishly, that's what I was looking for. I was trying to detect the tone. I was trying to detect the tenor of each different chapter to figure out who had written them. And I couldn't do that. The other thing, and I, and I want to acknowledge this and give both of you flowers for this, is I assumed that when I picked this book up for the first time, that you were going to need as a reader, as the consumer, a certain degree of knowledge about F1 to contextualize this book. And that wasn't the case at all. This book is totally accessible to anybody. Even if you have never watched a Formula One race, you can pick up this book and it provides all the context necessary to understand the story of what you're trying to tell in your narrative. Was that something that you had designed and intended from the beginning? Or was there a point where you realized like we can more we can broaden the appeal of this book if we make it more accessible by contextualizing more? Yeah, I think Elizabeth can add to this, but we started out wanting to make this accessible for everyone. Because the thing about stories and the thing about journalism is that when you're writing a story, you could use a really like fancy word that you think makes you look smart, or you could use the accessible version of that so that everyone can read it. The point of journalism is to make it understandable for everyone, even if it's a very complicated topic. And I really appreciate that you said that. And a couple of other people have said that. They're like, I am amazed with how accessible this book is. And that's so cool because it's really nice when people recognize writing because, you know, there are talents in this world that people can automatically go, that's so cool. You're great at that. Like if someone backflips on a motorcycle, you're like, wow, you're talented. Writing, like a lot of people don't understand what all goes into writing and what all makes good writing. And it's so nice when people say like, you are able to quickly explain complex things within Formula One, within history, within whatever, without making it redundant or annoying to someone who knows what's going on. And that is the talent of going, Kimi Raikkonen retired from this race in whatever year that was, I think 2006. A retirement in Formula One means you don't come back out on the track for one race. It's not you're retiring from your career. Your car has retired from the race and it's not coming back out. You have to make that so concise that it's not upsetting for someone who knows what a retirement is, but it's very, very accessible for someone who doesn't. We also put descriptions of what the flag Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
things in Formula One mean? We're like, it's like a stoplight. Green means go, yellow means slow, red means stop. Um, we put all this stuff in there without making it annoying. And that's very hard to do. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. That was something that we really focused on from the beginning, in part because in the book publishing world, you want to reach as wide of an audience as possible. That's part of your pitching process. And that's part of what will get your book published in the first place is if you can prove like, hey, this isn't just going to be some niche topic that 50 people enjoy. This is something that anyone who likes these, you know, chaotic stories about money and finances and companies will want to enjoy. Um, at the same time, I also have a really big collection of old books about Formula One. And I like to think I know a fair deal about like the 1970s. But when I go back and I read those books, sometimes it's just not like they're taking for granted a certain amount of knowledge that perhaps we don't have um, like the qualifying format is so different now than it used to be. They just assumed what qualify like qualifying would be the same always. So when you go back and read that, it's like, oh, well, was this time trials? Was this just practice and laps were counted? Like what was going on here? Uh, and that was important to me that like if someone picks up this book who has no idea about Formula One, I want them to understand it. And in 25 years, if someone picks this book up and they still, you know, they love Formula One, I want them to understand the context of the era. Yeah, and I mean, Elizabeth can say I put a million comments on this draft saying yeah. in 300 years, <laughs> will anyone know what this means? So you'll notice when you're reading through the book, we don't just tell you how Formula One works and what the cars are and all that. We also tell you what an Instagram story is. What is this? What is this? Because I would comment on everything and I would say in 300 years, is someone going to know what an Instagram story is? We need to say that an Instagram story is a photo or video or text that you put on Instagram that disappears after 24 hours. Also, we have to put everything in past tense because in 300 years, like maybe the apocalypse has happened and someone found this book in the rubble <laughs> and Formula One doesn't exist anymore. We cannot write about Formula One in present tense. We have to write about it as this is a thing that happened back then and this is what it was about because past tense can be fine for modern right. reading, but it is required for future reading. 
One of the other big takeaways I had when I was reading this book is I kind of put on my my TA hat a little bit because whenever I read a book or I read a paper or I read a thesis, I'm always very, very curious about where a specific piece of data or reference came from. And I think one of the things that I was so impressed with with this book is you show all your work. There's no, there's no elusive statements here is that if you make a statement or you share a piece of data and somebody's interested, all of your work's there to be seen. Flip to the back of the book, every single reference. And as I was flipping through that part of the book, it just, it dawned on me how much work was put into not even the writing and crafting the narrative and the editing, but the sheer amount of research that you had to put into piecing this book together and getting all those useful insights and those data points and those quotes. When you were working through all of that heavy lifting in terms of the researching, and you talked a little bit about some of the challenges that you had with your initial agent and the initial publisher, et cetera, but was there ever a part when you were going through the research where it felt like you kind of hit that valley of despair that we're so deep into this and we've done so much work, but there's still so much work left to do. Um, and if you did reach into that, how did you keep each other motivated to keep going? It was a lot. <laughs> yeah, we went through a lot of like peaks and valleys on this project. Um, and some of it was like you would get discouraged. We chased a lot of leads to an endpoint where we had all of the information, but we couldn't confirm it in a way that we could share with the world. So there was a lot of like little little snakes of information out there that we just couldn't include in the book that it was frustrating because that would have created a more complete picture of this whole situation. Um, I think, at least for me personally, working with someone motivated me to get things done because I didn't want to keep Alanis waiting. I knew like there were a lot of times where I felt like I was like on the back foot, um, <laughs> like taking forever to get something done. Um, but it was motivating to know like, okay, well, I'm not the only person here. I, someone else is counting on me to get this done. Um, the publisher is counting on me to get this done. So it that helped a lot for me to push through those barriers. Um, and there was also a lot of, I think, the ability to talk back and forth and to say like, I've reached this point in my research where I just can't go any further. Um, what do we do now? And to be able to talk it over, here's what we can add. Here's how we can approach this. Um, here's maybe, you know, Alanis could have an idea of who to reach out to that I hadn't thought of. Um, or just to say like, let's just cut this bit. We'll end it right here. Let's not go any further. Um, we don't necessarily need it, even though it would be nice. Um, it was a, it was just a lot of kind of at the collaborative aspect, I think kept it kept it solid and kept us both going through this, even when it was pretty challenging. I think the thing that made it a lot easier from a collaboration standpoint was that I could do some things and Elizabeth could do some things. Like I could own, I'm going to put together like the visual aspects of this. You can take all of our sources and put them into this giant citation thing uh, because we could like master one thing, you know, and that was nice. And I think another thing that was difficult and very tedious and very discouraging is that a lot of people don't understand journalism and how journalism works. And I always try to inform people when I'm writing stories and also in the story, I try to inform them of how this works. Because if you look at our story, the employees we quoted from the Haas Formula One team, no one uses their name. 
and everybody is like anonymous sources. They just make stuff up. No, that's not how this works. Um, how this works is that everything that is said, I need it to hold up in court, not only court with a judge, but also the court of public opinion. I need it to hold up. And I do that by either finding documentation or evidence of this stuff or by getting multiple people to corroborate something independently of each other because they don't know each other or talking to me um, and finding like additional backup evidence. That is very difficult to do. So I will give you an example. I early on in the pandemic, I was writing about NASCAR's COVID protocols and there were a lot of people within NASCAR who were upset and freaked out by the COVID protocols and kind of lacks adherement to them within teams. So someone says, hey, Alanis, I'm really upset because I'm on this plane to the racetrack and no one is wearing a mask. Like maybe two people are. And this is April of 2020 or something. Like this was early on or like June of 2020. This was early on. This was freaky. Nobody's vaccinated. Nobody's anything. And I said, all right, what I need you to do is I need you to take a photo of the plane from this angle so that I know that you took it just now and this is not an old photo of the plane. And I need you to include this and this in the frame so that I know that you just took this. It's kind of like, you know, if you're selling something online and someone's like, is that really you? Do you really own that? And you like hold up a piece of paper basically. Exactly. So that is how I got proof of that. And I was like, perfect. Thank you so much for the, the plane photo. I can check this out. Exactly. And with these anonymous sources. So, you know, I had multiple sources tell me within their shop or office or wherever, only one or two cases of rich energy ever showed up. And so I would ask multiple people, how many cases showed up of rich energy? How many cans did you see? And they would tell me, and I would not tell them other information that other people told me. And I'm working on a story right now where I'm talking to um, sources from a company and I'm very, very open with them. I say, hey, I'm gonna ask you a very vague question. I have answers to this question, but I can't give you those answers. I need to coax them out of you without giving you any prompting. So I'm like, have you seen anything of this nature at your job? And I make it like a very wide ranging thing. And I see if they tell me the specific information I'm looking for, and they do. Like, have you seen any kind of mistreatment of employees? Maybe what I'm looking for is a very, very specified example of sexual harassment. And I go, have you seen any mistreatment of employees? I'm not gonna tell you any more about it, just. Tell me if you've seen anything. And they will tell me a very specific story about sexual harassment. And I'm like, that's the story I was looking for. But I don't tell them that. I'm like, I'll tell you after the story is done. Um, thank you so much for your participation. And I try to be very, very open with them that like, hey, I'm gonna be purposely vague with you because I need to corroborate this. And that and actual evidence and all of that, that is how you do these things. And a lot of people don't see what goes into that. And they're like, oh, you just quoted anonymous sources. No, that's not how this works. <laughs> not at all. And so it's very, very yeah. tedious. Yeah. It's, we want to see proof of your employment. Yep, proof of your employment. Everything. Yeah. We want to see proof of employment. Have, we want to, yep. we want to, yeah, everything that we yep. got. I have people send me their tax documents, their employee IDs, everything like that. And People don't realize how tedious it is. And there were so many leads that we were chasing that we really wanted to publish that were like just super wild and super juicy, but we couldn't. And you kind of get to the back of the book and we say, look, there was some stuff we couldn't say. 
such as maybe a Formula One circuit was in talks with Rich Energy to be the title sponsor for that circuit. We can't tell you much else about it because we couldn't get the actual documentation because everybody was on an NDA, but we're pretty sure this was the case. No names of circuits though. You know, and we try to take you through that and why we didn't tell you and how we tried to get the information for you, you know? And honestly, kudos to both of you because I'm a big consumer, especially of political nonfiction writing. And I feel like if Bob Woodward was to tackle this subject, this would have been his book. So kudos again to, to both of you for that. Uh, question, and you talked about McFarland a couple of minutes ago, but how was how was your publisher, mm-hmm. how was McFarland and Company Incorporated to work with? Were they a great partner? Were they a good partner? Did they give you the resources that the two of you needed to flourish when you were embarking on this journey or journey? They gave us so much freedom and they let us comment on everything. And they were so excited. They were sending us photos and videos of all the books on the printing press. Like they they were just so happy to be working with us and we were so happy to be working with them. And, you know, most of our communication was actually with um, the vice president of the company and he would send us photos and videos of the books printing. And they were like, we're so excited. We're doing all this. Like, this is so fun. Um, and they would like, we would get emails from the vice president of the company. Like, Hey, I just read the book again. Like I've read the book like multiple times. I liked it so much. And that was so cool. They were very like willing to work with us. If we had questions, they were going to provide answers. Uh, if we had problems, they were going to find solutions. If we had advice or we had feedback, they were willing to hear it. Uh, it was really nice. That's not always the case. Sometimes you can get a very hardline publisher who's like, we want you to do things exactly as we do them all the time forever. And we're, you know, we're not going to budge on this. McFarland was wonderful in the sense that um, they they just wanted to work with us, make us comfortable and help us enjoy the process as much as possible because it is kind of tedious and there's a lot of legal and like, I don't know, business stuff that goes into everything. Uh, and they were very good with it. Alanis, Elizabeth, can you describe the very first moment that you picked up a copy of this book. Yeah, I can. Um, and you know, it wasn't it it wasn't the wild realization when I actually lifted the book out of the the box. I was just like, oh yeah, no, that's it. Um, the wild <laughs> realization came. It came like fifteen minutes later when I opened it. And I saw the words and I was like, oh my, wait, those are the words from the Google Doc. Like, wait. Um, So it wasn't seeing the book. It was opening the book and seeing the words. I was just, I was just annoyed when I finally got my, um, they, because the publisher, we really wanted this book to come out in time for the U.S. Grand Prix. uh, So they pushed this process ahead. Usually the authors will get like copies before anyone else does. But because of this expedited timeline, we yeah, yeah, there were people who had their us. copies in their hands before I did. And oh I was my just gosh. like, I'm so glad it's over. I'm so glad I don't have to think about this anymore. And like, I don't think it actually sunk in for a couple weeks. Um, not until people started to share like their feedback of it and that they had read it and here's what they thought about it. And it, to hear like the thoughts and like we spent so much time embedded in this world um, to hear other people's perceptions of it and their experiences with it, I think changed it for me because it wasn't in my own head anymore and it wasn't in our Slack chat and it wasn't in our Google Drive. 
like this was something out in the world for other people. Like that's when I kind of got it, and that's when I got a little bit emotional. Uh, but my husband, like when I opened my package with the books, he was like, "Why aren't you happy?" And I was like, "I'm just glad it's done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad it's over." Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think the coolest experience I've had so far was um, at the U.S. Grand Prix. Elizabeth and I held a book signing, and we just said, "Hey, we're going to be over here." We actually held it right next to Haas Hill. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, Circuit of the Americas has um, a section called Haas Hill that you can sit in. And we're like, we're signing books next to Haas Hill. (laughs) And it was really funny. Um, But we had all these people come by and like bring their friends and their family members and just come and talk about this book and like make friends with each other. And we got to all just like hang out and take photos with everyone and like People like brought us stuff. Like I, I got this sticker of Daniel I Ricardo. Just, and <laughs> I was just looking at that earlier. Actually, <laughs> I had it in my wallet. I know. I just and pulled it, was, it out. <laughs> I know. I have. Yeah, I have it too. And it's just like I, it was so nice. You know, it was just like oh my goodness. Like I have, I have all these people who wanted to come say hi and tell me they read my book, and it was really great. Honestly, at Evernorth Health Services. We believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. By the way, I'm sure we are killing everybody listening at home because they tuned into this podcast expecting us probably to announce the contest winners off the top. And here we are 30 minutes into the podcast and we haven't even mentioned it. But I promise that is going to come. But before we get to the contest winners, uh, another question for both of you, which is what type of high level conceptual advice would you have for a young writer hoping to author their own book? Elizabeth, I had a best practice. Uh, I had a best practice on a different interview. What was my? I don't best remember. Practice? What was it? I like. I know it. It's. A, oh wait, no, no, no. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Just a second. Um. So, my best practice, and this is, this is kind of like a past couple of years things for me thing for me. So I used to when I got a word count for a story or I had a word count for a chapter. My cat is scratching styrofoam in the background. Um, Anyway, when I had a word count for a chapter, a word count for a story, let's say someone assigned something at 1500 words, I would write 1500 words. Now I write 2500 words and I cut a thousand of them. And that has, I feel like, elevated my writing so much because when you write something, you add all of these words you don't need. And Elizabeth can attest to this. I would go through the document. I would be like, don't need this word. Don't need this word. Don't need this word. Don't. I would cut sentences in half 
because we don't need all those words. And at the end of the day, you may think that more words are better and that you're showing people a fuller picture because you're using all of these fancy. No, you're not. Say it in as few words as possible and it will be so much more impactful. So I had a story last year um, about learning how to be a NASCAR tire changer and it was assigned at 1,500 words. I wrote 2,300 and I cut, or 2,400, and I cut eight or 900 words from this story. I cut it almost in half, and there was so much stuff that I was like, man, I don't wanna cut this. But what I do is I make a copy of the document, and I leave that original 23, 2,400 word thing, make a copy of it, and start cutting, and I'm like, I don't wanna cut this, I don't wanna cut this, like, this is good, I'm mad about cutting this. And then I go back and I read the original versus the new one, where I cut 900 words, and I'm like, wow. That's so good. And that is because I cut all the stuff I didn't need. So my tip is always imagine how many words you need. Write eh, like 1.3 times that amount. Then cut it. Just cut it so far down because your writing will be so much better. You don't need more words. You don't need all those descriptor words. Say it in as few words as possible. So I, I was the one who did our citations and our bibliography. So my best advice is if <laughs> if you are doing something of nonfiction, <laughs> cite as you go. We linked everything. So because Alanis and I both come from the online journalism world, our original documents had all of the links in them. So all of our stuff was available. Yeah, and we we just had to then cite afterward. Uh, do it. Do it as you go. It'll make your life so much easier. I pinky promise you, you will be happier that you did it. Um, otherwise, I think just honestly start writing. Um, sometimes the best way to figure out where your head is at is to get some words on a piece of paper. Uh, as Alanis and I wrote this book, we had obviously our outline of where we wanted to go. But every so often it was just like, well, I don't, you know, I wanted to write this thing today, but I'm just not feeling it. So I'm just going to write words for some other part of the book that I'm supposed to be working on because that's what I'm feeling. And I made some progress. It might not have been what I wanted. Just put yeah. things down. As Alana yeah. said, you can cut them later. It's yeah. You that's can the beauty them. of this. You're not wasting paper. You're doing it on the, you know, presumably on Google Docs. Yes. You're fine. Hopefully. Just write things, cut them, make copies and do what you got to do. That's exactly it because like we would have assigned parts of the story that were like hardcore factual things. And then I'll give you like some insight into who wrote what. Um, Elizabeth wrote a lot of historical stuff um, and I wrote the intro and I wrote that like end chapter pretty much. Um, And it was so nice to have like the freedom at the beginning and the end to just say stuff. Because, you know, when you're thinking about the opening of something, it allows you to be really creative. Like, how am I going to hook people on this first page? Like, how am I going to hook them with this, like, opening section? And whenever I would get tired of doing the factual stuff, I would go to the opening or I would go to the end of the book and I would go, all right, let's have some fun, right? Like, let's do this creative stuff. And it gives you that break. And just write it like you can cut it later. How many versions of the intro did we go through, Elizabeth? A million. A million. Yeah. <laughs> it was absurd. Yeah. Just write. Like that's that's the advice I give to everyone. Yep. Just write. And then delete it all. 
Delete 50%. Right? And then delete half of it because you don't need it. Elizabeth doesn't quite know this, but she was going to come to Vancouver last year for the Formula E race. And my plan was we were going to hang out the entire time because Vancouver is my backyard. Of course, that didn't happen. It's a scandal. The race was canceled. None of us have got our money back. So with that, if you had a blank check from a publisher, what motorsport topic would each of you want to dive into? Damn. (laughs) I was like... Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> That's not motorsports. I actually, I already, I already have my answer because because <laughs> I'm starting <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> I'd read it. I'm actually, I'm starting another book. The proposal band has broken up. As we she hasn't invited me. That America, is so rude. Uh, and the history and why she's it's like, a forget Alana's. I am going off and doing my own thing now. I don't need her anymore. Yeah. Yeah. The cool. band is broken up. I didn't get invited <laughs> to do this. That's rude. Uh, <laughs> Formula One in America. Interesting. Uh, at the at the point when I get when I get Elizabeth is like, yeah, no, I wasn't planning inviting you. <laughs> yeah, when I get halfway through this proposal, I'm like, I hate doing she this by myself. <laughs> I'm coming to call you up and be like, Honestly, hey, actually, I changed my mind. I need a buddy. I, <laughs> I need I moral can, support. I could be convinced. I could be convinced to write about Formula One in America. Yeah. All right. Assuming, assuming the relationship is broken beyond repair. Nobody's <laughs> coming to save it. You're not even following each other Disgusting. on Twitter anymore. Disgusting. Alanis, what topic, what motorsports theme topic would you want to write about solo? Mm, you know, that's that's difficult because nonfiction <laughs> is rough. Like it's a lot of work. Um, and I feel like if I got to do a nonfiction thing, I would like to go back a couple of decades and do the Rich Energy book for Moneytron. Um, I don't think that you could write a super cohesive Moneytron book now. Um, I also find the story of L.W. Wright really fascinating. Um, so Moneytron was a sponsor in Formula One, which you'll read in the book, um, so Moneytron was a supercomputer and it sponsored, well, the organization uh, sponsored a Formula One team and it all went downhill really, really quickly because it was apparently a supercomputer that could predict the stock market and that's not real. Um, so that went downhill. L.W. Wright was this dude uh, who showed up to Talladega one time, wrote some bad checks, uh, got in a car and raced at Talladega. He got black flagged after like 13 laps for going too slow. He goes in the infield, parks a car, gets out and disappears. No one ever sees him again. Um, he wrote a bunch of bad checks to get in this car. Uh, someone actually found him like a couple of years ago and they're writing about it now. And it's so fascinating. I think it's like the scene vault or something. I was reading the story last night and it's so cool that they found LW Wright. And I would have loved to write about him um, because I, my dream is also to write a bunch of bad checks and drive at Talladega in a NASCAR race and then disappear, never to be seen again. I think aside from that, uh, it would be cool to help people do like retrospectives of racing series from their own perspectives, kind of like a driver, like helping a driver write a book or something, just because it would be a lot easier than doing nonfiction all the way through and spending three years on it and having 70 pages of citations. All right. I think it is time. Let's draw some contest winners. Is that cool, guys? All right. I am going to a website called Twitter Picker 
Com, I think I assume I am now infested with, <laughs> with malware and spyware, but uh, we'll do it. I'm going to share my screen, make sure that Amazing. both of you can see what I'm doing. So this is totally above board. I'm going to punch Heck in yeah. all of our criteria. The criteria, of course, was that you had to like the tweets. You had to follow Scuderia F1 pod or however we pronounce it. You had to follow Alanis and you had to follow Elizabeth. Okay, let's punch it in. Let's click continue and let's see how this goes. <laughs> We are going to press begin draw and something's happening. I don't think this is what is supposed to be oh, happening. This is this so is exciting. Competence at its best. It is showing all the people that did not qualify for the draw. I am not sure why. Let's figure this out. Oh, oh, this is like a shoe drop. Oh my goodness. Everybody gets rejected. <laughs> Wait a minute, Alanis. Let me double check. Your Twitter handle is at Alanis King, right? No, it's Alanis in King with a with a, an initial in the middle. All right, so let's back all of this oh, up no! and redo it all again handle. using your actual Twitter handle. No. So this is totally on me. Every single person got rejected. Um, no, so back when I made a Twitter handle with my name on it, um, there was a guy named Alan who thought really highly of himself and he made a Twitter in 2009 and he never used it and he hasn't used it since. And his Twitter is Alan is King. So my Twitter is Alanis N King. And no one ever remembers the N. And so I just have to wonder, like people will email alaniskking at gmail.com. And I'm like, who owns this? Because someone owns alaniskking at gmail.com. Who owns this and how many emails have they gotten? Unfortunately, of course, I have effectively ruined Don't all know. of the suspense and all of the excitement, oh. but I am getting ready. Let's uh, go, load up go. the criteria. Beep, bop, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. Loading everything in. Let's click draw yeah, winner. And we uh -oh. have uh -oh. a winner. The first winner of the contest is Mr. John Borg. My friend, thank you so much. That's so exciting. You are the first winner. So I am going to screenshot this to make sure I reach out to you a little bit later. Wow. Uh, we still have two more people to draw. So let's get that all teed up. All right, and here we go. Beep, so boop, beep, boop, boop, boop. And the next winner is Mr. Ken Snyder. Congratulations, Ken. You have won a copy of Racing with Rich Energy, the amazing book by Alanis and Elizabeth. And then the final, the final winner, the final recipient is Eric Nubaron. I think I have probably butchered the pronunciation of your last name. So to the two of you, to the three of you, Cumulatively, congratulations. So I couldn't be more excited for all of you. This is a fantastic book. I loved every second of it. I'll reach out to each of you individually to make sure that we can Yay! get them shipped out via Amazon as quickly <laughs> as possible. Now, Alanis, Elizabeth, before we go, obviously, I want to make sure you both have the opportunity to let people know where they can find you on social media. And hopefully you can give everyone an update on what you're working on. But I should share this and I shared this offline. But a couple of weeks ago, Mr. Daly reached out. He was so pumped because on the Apple podcast charts under sports, sports news, we had overtaken the DRS show. And he was so excited about that until I reminded him it was only because you haven't recorded an episode all winter, but your show is back on track. And I'm super excited for both of you. I know that show has been hugely successful so far. But Alanis, Elizabeth, what's what's going on with the two of you? I can be found on Twitter and Instagram. So Twitter is at Eliz underscore Blackstock and Instagram is at Eliz A Blackstock. Uh, you can also hit my website, Elizabeth-Blackstock.com. You will then 
through one of those various channels, find out about Donut Racing Show, anything else I'm doing, and I am actually starting a new project where I am cooking my way through the Formula One Grand Prix calendar this that year. That sounds amazing. Uh, with videos and photos and, yeah, and a Substack account that's coming shortly, so stay wow, tuned. Wow, that's so exciting. Yeah, Elizabeth and I are about to go record an episode of the Donut Racing Show right now. Um we're going to log off of this and go do that. Um, I wanted to say first, thank you all so much for doing this giveaway of books. It was so fun. I'm so glad we did this. I had a blast with the draw and I appreciate that y'all did that. You didn't have to, and it's really cool that you did. Um, in terms of finding me online, I'm Alanis in, there's an in in the middle, King, K-I-N-G on everything. You can find me everywhere. Um, yeah, I, let's see, I currently host the Donut Racing Show. I do a lot of motorsport stuff for road and track. I work full-time for Business Insider and Insider, so I write car reviews for them. Um, I have some cool stuff coming up lately. I can't tell you exactly what I'm working on because I'm working on a big investigation, um, but it is very car-centric, and I think it is going to surprise a lot of people. I'm hoping to publish that in the next couple of weeks to a month, so if you want to read something really surprising and wild, you can find me on there and I'll post a link to it. Alanis, Elizabeth, I cannot thank you both enough for making time to join me today. I know you are about to start recording the latest episode of the DRS podcast, which obviously I'm also looking forward to downloading and listening to. To everybody at home, thank you so much for tuning in. If you were expecting us to talk about popular U.S. chain restaurants, including Chili's, we'll save that for next time. We had a whole bunch of topics that we really wanted to get to, but I also wanted to be respectful of our guests wonderful time. If you enjoy this show and you like what Mr. Daly and I do every single week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes including this week, three times a week, please, we would love if you could give us a rating on Spotify. And if you listen to us on Apple, a rating and a review is something that we both treasure. So thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Congratulations to our three contest winners. I will reach out to each one of you individually to make sure we get those shipped out via Amazon as quickly as possible. To everybody, have fun. Speak to you again soon. Bye for now.